Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise you. We praise you that you are our great defender, that no matter what we're going through, no matter how broken we are, no matter all the mistakes we've made, nothing is too big for you. And we just praise you, Lord Jesus, that you're meeting us right where we're at tonight. If we're coming to you broken tonight, if we're coming to you filled with praise tonight, wherever we're at, anywhere in between, you're meeting us right where we're at. We praise you for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here in this room with us. We praise you, Jesus. We just ask for more of you. Pray, Lord God, that you would just open up the hearts of each student in this room right now and just prepare them to hear from you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are personal, God, that you love us, that you want to know each one of us. We just thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys can head to your seats. We have the privilege tonight of hearing from Cullen, who obviously you guys know Cullen as our worship leader. Um, Cullen also has an amazing gift of teaching, and so he's going to share with us tonight uh, in our relationship series. We're just getting started and talking about friendship. And Colin is the perfect person to bring this word because Colin is all about building community, having friends, being a good friend, just meeting people where they're at. So I'm super excited to hear what God has put on his heart. So let's give Colin a really warm welcome. All right. Thank you so much. I'm a little hyped up, so hopefully I don't disappoint you guys. Uh, it's so good to be here. I'm excited to start off our new series. We are going to be talking about relationships for the next month, over the next four weeks. And if you see the topics up there, they're like light pink. Uh, the first one is friends. I get the easy one. Cole gets the harder ones. Um, but it's going to be an amazing series because our entire life is surrounded by relationships. Everything that we do is surrounded by relationships, whether it's at work, whether it's in your family just in your normal social life, whether you realize it or not, when you guys are playing Fortnite, you're interacting with your relationships. So we're going to go ahead and pray first before I get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this place right now, and we just pray that we would tap into that just a little bit. Because, Father, you are so vast, you are so amazing, you are so great, that if we just chase after you, nothing can stop us. God, we pray that we would see how amazing you are and how great your love is and get so excited to be able to spread that love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, I'm talking about friendships tonight, and I really do believe that friendship and relationship, so I'm going to use those two words kind of interchangeably, so if I ever say relationship, don't ever think that I'm I'm saying like intimately or anything like that. Friendship and relationship, I'm going to use interchangeably. But friendship and relationship are the beginning of everything. And you might say, well, how can you make that claim? There's no way that that's true. But we're going to look at the character of God because who knows that God is our creator. He began before everything, right? So if God began before everything... Let's look at God's character, and we're going to look at a specific part of God's character and how he kind of is formed, and we're going to dissect that a little bit to derive this idea that friendship is the beginning of everything. Raise your hand if you know what I mean when I say the Trinity. 
Okay, a decent amount of you. All right, cool. We're going to talk about this so that way the people that don't know it can know it now. When I say Trinity, I mean God is a Trinitarian God or he is a Trinity, okay? And that just means three people like this, one, two, three, and he is still one God, all right? This can be a really hard concept to wrap our heads around because our brains don't work that way. Like, you can't be separate in the same thing at the same time. And there's a lot of analogies. One of the most popular ones is the egg, right? Because you have the shell, the yolk, and the white. But it falls apart very quickly. It's, there's nothing perfect to compare to God, right? Because if God is so amazing and so vast, it's going to be pretty unlikely that we're able to understand him. But I have a little graph here that's going to help us kind of look at this and understand it a little bit better. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay, so three people, three persons. And those are the three people, the three people that make up God, right? But they're still all one. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but they're not each other. If you see the lines attached to each other are X'd out because the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. But all of them point straight to God because all of them do make up God. Okay, and we're going to look at some scripture in John 1 that talks about this a little bit. Okay, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Okay, who knows what the word means here? Raise your hand if you know what the word means in this scripture when it says, in the beginning was the word. Jason, what does it mean? Yeah, awesome. All right, so when we see in the beginning was the word, we can also interchange it. Most people agree that you can use that interchangeably with Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was he was with God in the beginning. So Jesus, we see this idea that our creator is communal. Our creator is communal. If you don't know what communal means, it just means for community or desires community. Okay, so our God is communal. He, before everything began, he was there, but he was still communal. But what are we? Are we communal? How do we know that? We're, and scripture tells us this very clearly. We're going to read in Genesis chapter 1 when we were created to show us if we're communal or not. So in Genesis 1.26, God has now created the rest of the world. He's created the, the sea and the land. He's created day and night. He's created the animals of the air, the fish of the sea, and, and the animals of the land. Then once it came to man, then God said, let us, that is another evidence of the Trinity right there, because God is saying in, in himself, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so they may rule over the land. Okay, so we see that God has created us in his image, right? But there's more, more things to talk about as well. In between that last verse I just read and this one, there's a really interesting thing that happens, like I said, before that, God had taken all of the world and he creates it. And at the end of every single day, God creates the land and the air and all those things. At the end of every single day, after he's created something, he says, it is good. Then the next day comes, he creates another thing. He says, it is good. He said, it is good about every single thing, except for this scripture. In chapter two is the first time in his creation that God said, it is not good. 
Let's read this together. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. After this verse, the first human that was ever created goes throughout all of the land and names every single animal ever. Isn't that kind of crazy? And he looks through every single animal, and as he's doing this, he's looking for this helper that God is talking about. But he, Among all of the animals, even dogs, which I find really hard to believe, he did not find a suitable helper. Right? So from these verses, we can derive that we ourselves are communal as well. We were created in the image of God. Our, we know our God is communal. And we were also told by God, it is not good for us to be alone. So why do we continue to say that it is? I did forget something. I didn't have enough time to grab it. But I was going to have someone come up here. I was going to have a nail and a hammer and a piece of wood. And I was going to have someone come up and nail the, that nail into the piece of wood. Finish nailing it in, right? And it was going to work really well. Then I was going to ask that person to saw that piece of wood in half with the hammer. Does anyone think that that would have worked really well? <laughs> no, that wouldn't have worked right, right? Because it wasn't created for that. It was created to nail in the nail into the wood, not to saw it in half. When I was growing up, some of you may know my story, some of you may not. I think most of you actually don't. I grew up in kind of a rural town in Ohio, and it was really interesting because I didn't really have much of a social life. Church was about 20 people and about 80 to 90% of them were my family, like my aunts, uncles, and cousins and stuff like that. And I was homeschooled on top of that. So I had like no social interaction with people that were outside my family. All of a sudden we were moving to New York and I was placed into this church that had 600 people. And if you really think about that, that's 30 times the size of what I was used to. And when you're a kid, when you're like eight, nine years old, which is how old I was, it's shocking. It's just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to interact with people that aren't my family, so what do I do? And then I was going to youth group every week. My mom had us go to youth group every week, and it was like 50 to 60 kids. And then I started going to private school on top of that. So every single day, I went from being completely kind of alone and homeschooled and doing all this with my family, and that was it, to being barraged by people. I would wake up in the morning, I'd go to school, be surrounded by people the entire day. Then usually, I would go to youth group or at, hang out with those people sometimes and would be surrounded by people all day the rest of the day as well. It was constant. And because of this big gap, I thought I was the weirdest kid ever. Like, I did not think I was popular. I didn't think people liked me. To the point where people were inviting me and my brother, who went to school together, to go to, like, a youth group on a Tuesday night or something. And I would say, no, I'm not going to go because they just, they want you to go. They're just inviting me to be nice because my brother was older and I thought he was cooler. <laughs> and no one had ever told me that. No one had ever told me, I don't like you. No one had ever told my brother, they don't like you. They told him the opposite. And even though my brother continued to tell me, no, Cullen, they really do want you to go, it didn't matter because I kept telling myself that lie. I kept pushing myself deeper and deeper into the pit 
and it led to the moment, probably the hardest time that I've ever had in my life. It led me into depression. It led me into self-harm. It led me into suicidal thoughts constantly. But how do you get from there to being in a healthy community? How do you get from there to, to realizing your worth? Because God does love us, and he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to move forward. But what's the first step? Well, in order to do that, we need to understand what healthy community looks like. And Jesus, luckily, portrays that for us. And I'm going to show you guys the three different types of groups that Jesus had in his life. And this is the first one, is his mentor. You might be, again, confused. What are you talking about? Like, Jesus was perfect. He didn't have a mentor. We're going to learn from Jesus as much as we can, and we're going to apply it to ourselves, right? So these things won't directly apply. Jesus isn't going to have, like, like, a, like, a mentor who's, like, a higher-rated carpenter. I'm sure his dad was a mentor of somewhat. But we're going to use the idea that the Father is Jesus' mentor, right? Because everything that Jesus did throughout his ministry, throughout Scripture, he always turned it back to the Father. The Father wants me to do this. I do this because I love the Father, right? So Jesus has his Father as a mentor, the next thing, the next group of people that he had is his peers. These people were not talked about a ton, but they were, they were there, and they're important because our peers are the people that we surround ourselves with, that are, we're growing with, that we have long-term relationships with, that we get to challenge each other to do better. It's not just a, it's not just a, a give relationship or a take relationship. Like The mentor is just a take relationship. I'm just taking from the mentor most of the time. But the, this peer thing is a give and take. It's a challenging relationship where you get to challenge your friends. Hey, I think you can do this better. And they come back at the same thing. Hey, I think you can do this better. And I receive what you say. And we're going we're gonna to do this together. We're going to hunker down and we're going to grow together. Right? The people that Jesus had were Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and John the Baptist. Those were some of the examples that Jesus had as peers. When Lazarus died, one of Jesus' best friends that's where we get the idea, or the, the shortest verse in the Bible where it says, Jesus wept. See, Jesus cared about these people so much. He grew up with these people. We see a beautiful relationship with John the Baptist as well, and just how much he really does care for these people, these peers that are in similar stages of his life, and they grow together. Then the next and the final group of people that Jesus has is his disciples. I want you guys to all close your eyes and just bow your heads. Just bow your eyes and close your heads. That would be funny. <laughs> all right, so just close your eyes, bow your heads. If you, if you call yourself a Christian, you believe truly with everything that you are that you are a Christian, raise your hand. Awesome. Okay, put your hand down. On a weekly basis... On a weekly basis, do you disciple someone with Scripture? Raise your hand if you disciple someone with Scripture or with the Word of God, specifically about God. It's not just a, a relationship, but you're truly, like, building someone up of their, their knowledge. Okay, you can put your hands down. You guys can ra raise your heads and open your eyes. I can tell you, 
most people raise their hands when I ask the first question, but when I ask the second question, about five people raise their hands. I'm gonna ask you guys one more question, and my group cannot answer this because they know the answers. I know for sure they know the answers. What are the two greatest commandments in scripture? No, you guys are in my group. Oh my gosh. Love your neighbor, that's one. What's the second one? Anyone? Love God. Oh, you guys said, wait, did you just say that? Oh, you did. Great. Okay. <laughs> cool. Awesome. So you got it. Great job, guys. Okay, so those are the two greatest commandments. What's our mission? What was the final thing that Jesus gave us to do before he left? Which is? Yeah. All right. Great. So our two greatest commandments in scripture are to love God, love people, right? Just to put it in four words. Easy. Love God, love people. Our last thing we were told to do by Jesus, the Great Commission, the thing we are here for and supposed to be actively doing, is to make disciples. Yet only five of us in this room are doing it. And that isn't to make you feel bad. I think you guys don't think you can make disciples, and that is not true at all. You guys have the ability to make disciples right now. We're going to talk about um, what it looks like when we, when we forget one of these groups, when we forget a mentor or a peer or a disciple, and we're just going to go down the line. You guys ready for that? All right, one more time. You guys ready for that? Yeah. There we go. All right, great. You guys are still paying attention, still awake. Okay, so when we forget a mentor, when we choose not to have one, a couple things can happen with our attitude. One side is we can say we're too good. I don't need a mentor. I'm good enough without one. I don't need the wisdom of a mentor. And we build up our pride. The opposite attitude that we can have when we say we don't need a mentor or don't want one is because we say we're not good enough. No one wants to pour into me. No one wants to be around me. Why would a mentor take their time and pour into me? Those are the two attitudes that you can have when you don't have a mentor. But if you are not getting poured into, you will never be able to pour out. If you are not getting poured into from someone, you will never be able to pour out. The next group is the peers. I really do think that this one may be one of the most important ones. And the reason why is because if you don't have peers that are surrounding you, this can be one of the loneliest places to be. Say you are getting poured into from a mentor. That fills in some of that gap, right? And you're pouring out to make disciples. But you have no one you're going with that through. You have no one you're going through the thick of it with. You're just sitting there alone most of the time doing it by yourself. It's important to, to surround yourself with people like Jesus did who are going to motivate him. John the Baptist loved Jesus so much, and he completely trusted in who Jesus was before anyone else did. Well, maybe Martha and, and, and Joseph, or Mary and Joseph, not Martha and Joseph. Maybe Mary and Joseph, right? But John the Baptist totally believed that Jesus was the Messiah with no hesitation, and he motivated Jesus to, to be who he was, to go out and do what God wanted him to do. But if we surround ourselves with peers that are dragging us down and pulling us down into, into 
into like darkness and, and drugs and sex. They're pulling you away from Jesus rather than pushing you towards him. Our peers have so much power over us. There's that example. So like if I had Caden come here. Okay, I'm standing above Caden right now. Caden, I want you, I'm going to try to pull you up. And I'm, you're going to try to pull me down. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go. No, like pull me down, like off the stage. <laughs> Come on, pull. Here you go, pull that way. Okay, so me and Caden might be like similar size. I think I'm a little bit bigger than Caden. You can sit down. Thank you. But it is so much harder to pull someone up than it is to pull someone down. So much harder. So if you surround yourself with your peers, and those are people that are pulling you away from Jesus, most of the time, unless you are Jesus, <laughs> you are going to lose. You need to have a support system like we do here in your small groups of people that are motivating you to be more like Jesus, pushing you towards Jesus. Now, the last group is disciples. And it's more than just this idea that God called us to make disciples, so we have to do it. Who wishes that in their darkest time, someone came and showed them that they loved them, that they loved you? In your darkest time, someone came to you and wishes they loved you, right? All of us want to be loved. Why are we keeping it to ourselves? Why are we coming to youth group, small group, every single week, and we're not spreading that message at all? We're not passing it on. If we don't disciple people, we get poured into. We have peers that we're going through stuff with. And if we don't disciple, this will never go beyond these walls. Your small group will never get bigger. It will stay the same size forever. The kid at school who sits by himself will stay by himself forever because no one was able to disciple to him. That's why it's so important to disciple people. These are the people that, that sit alone at school, the kid that you don't want to talk to. You can be the person to go up to them for the first time in weeks and say, hey, What's your name? My name's Colin. Nice to meet you. And start to get to know them. It's that simple. It's not hard to understand. It can be hard to execute. And I totally, totally get that. We're going to read Proverbs 4.20. And the reason we're going to read this is because of that highlighted, underlined verse, scripture right there. Guard your heart. Okay, so I'm going to read this, and then we're going to go over that. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guarding your heart in this verse does not mean to build walls around it. I did that. When I had the, the loneliest time in my life, that was what I did. I saw this. I was like, oh, I get to guard my heart. It doesn't mean to isolate yourself or be alone, be around no one, and to choose to be alone forever. That is not what it means. Do not see this verse, guard your heart, and say it's to build walls around. Guard your heart in this context means to exercise this muscle, to increase the strength of your heart, 
Let's read this again and understand it in that context, that this is to increase the strength of our heart. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. That doesn't sound like building a wall. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. When you guys are, are choosing to close everyone else off, the two people that you're hurting the most are yourself and God. Because he does not want you to be closed off from everyone else. He wants you to be with him in relationship. He wants you to be with others in relationship. He wants you to grow and, and continue to push towards him. We can't do that if we're doing it alone. Read the rest of this scripture. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. We can't do this. We can't do exactly what this scripture is talking about unless we do this. Unless we surround ourselves with, with people that are pouring into us. Unless we surround ourselves with peers that we're going through it together. And unless we're reaching out to those to bring those in who are, who are lost and hurting who aren't a part of a group like ours, who aren't a part of a church like ours, who aren't a part of a love and a, a God like ours, because our God loves us more than any of us can imagine. He loves us so much more than any of us can imagine. I want to add just one last thing. In the eyes of the world, friendship is about you. So when I, when I see a friend, I'm like, how can I gain from them? How are they going to be a benefit to my life? But we're not part of the world anymore. In the eyes of Jesus, as Christians, as Christ followers, it is now about how can I love people? And that's it. It's not complicated, but it does force you to take the next step. To ask someone who you know is wise, hey, will you be my mentor? To start trying to push towards peers that are going to help you grow in your faith rather than the ones that you just get along with. To start seeking out people to disciple that are lonely, that they seem lost, that they seem afraid. Friendship is not about us anymore. It's about others. To love God, love people, and make disciples is our entire reason for being here. So as we, as we go to small group, you guys are going to talk about this. And I, I really hope you guys take this, this idea really seriously. Because like I said, relationships, friendships surround everything that we do. Absolutely everything. We're going to do one more thing before we go to small groups.
you guys are going to close your eyes and bow your heads one more time. If you feel lonely in any capacity, raise your hand. Any capacity. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how many friends you think you have, how many people think you're cool. If you feel lonely right now, just raise your hand. Like I said, the next thing you have to do is take a step. You guys can keep your hands raised. The next thing we have to do is take a step. And I'm going to challenge you right now. This is going to be one of the hardest things you do is the first step. One of the hardest things you do is take that first step. If you feel lonely, get up out of your seat and come to the front. And if you need to ask a friend to go with you, then ask a friend to go with you. Everyone else can keep their eyes closed if you don't have to move out of the way or anything like that. This is the first step, and it is so hard. I have struggled with wow. I have struggled with loneliness my entire life, and it does not get easier out of high school. Are you guys cool if we ask or everyone else to pray for you guys? You guys okay with that? Everyone else, you guys can open your eyes. You guys can stand. And if you see a member of your small group up here, if you could just come and surround them, you guys can spread out a little bit. I want every individual to get individual prayer. You guys can spread out a little bit that way, spread out a little bit that way. Loneliness is, is, is so hard. And it never, never completely goes away. But if we take these first steps to seek these people out and put God first in our lives and we take his word and we make that first, we exercise our hearts with those things, that is when loneliness will be diminished, when we will be fulfilled truly by God. So we're going to take five minutes and we're going to pray for each other. And then after those five minutes at 745, you guys will be able to go to small groups. You guys can go and start praying for each other.